Listening to Tutia Bruja, I'm Bex Carlos, and this week has been weird. Saturn went direct, and one of the things that's been, I would say, the most difficult for me to deal with is how unfocused I had been in a lot of stuff in my life. I'm going to make this podcast a priority again because it makes me happy and I enjoy it, but sometimes I just don't know if I have anything worth saying. I get so stuck in my head and I don't create. And I don't know why, because I enjoy creating, right? I really do. Last episode featuring Metzgly Wolf, which was released yesterday. So that was like another reason why I felt the need to like finally put stuff out because I wanted anybody who really resonated with the episode, if they had a few dollars to spare to help them, because I just can't believe that I am from a country, live in a country that prioritizes war over the comfort or humanity of their citizens. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me. But you know, that's this is where we are. And I needed to release that episode. So if anybody could help, they would help. And their surgery went swimmingly. They're in recovery now. And I wish them just the best and speediest recovery. But them going through, you know, getting to the finish line, getting surgery made me think about July, when I was getting surgery, right? I don't know if I told you all this, but I was really in my own head. Um, I was really thinking about mortality and my death in a way that I don't want to admit. And it just made me really like, yikes, you know, and I needed something to distract me and shout out to Ritual Craft and specifically Loretta, because I wanted to teach a class. I had been sort of in this place where I'm like, I have this idea and I pitched it to her and she was like, tell me more. I'm intrigued. And that's the thing that I'm really grateful in my life that I've gotten to a place where I am surrounded by a lot of women and elders who want me to be better and bring what I bring to the world and try to help me share that, right? That how to be a Y2K class has really put up this mirror to myself in a way that I really needed to analyze some of the sludge that's there to remove it. And 98 has proven to be the most fun and also most foundational year of my life. And let me start by saying that the Y2K era, right, is from 97 to 2004. So think about where you were at in that time frame, right? So I was from first grade to eighth grade, 98 being I was in second grade, and I went and saw the Spice Girls. And I'm not going to say that it was perfect because it didn't have ginger, but it was pretty damn close. And it was the first time that I experienced sound sorcery and shout out to Metzgly Wolf because they coined that term and I co-sign and I love it. I'm going to use it all the time. It was the first time that I saw live music. And so in 98, live music became very important to me. You know, music became important to me. I remember, I can't remember exactly what it was. It was like a pencil pouch or if it was a shirt I was wearing, but I was repping the Spice Girls in some way. And one of my classmates told me that We were over the Spice Girls. We liked Britney Spears. Now, it's wild because it's the first time that it became clear to me that we can't support all women or femmes. There can only be one. And that's obviously changing. We're seeing more women in spaces. We're seeing more femmes in spaces. And that's wonderful. If anything, I feel like I'm more impressed these days with the things that my friends who are women and femmes are like building as opposed to a lot of the cis men that I know you know, so, you know, do with that information what you will. But yeah, I've been thinking a lot about when it was first said to me that like, we couldn't support all 
all women, all femmes. And it's put an ick taste in my mouth. And it's something, it's a theme that I've definitely seen play out in a lot of environments, a lot of work environments specifically. And it just really breaks my heart and it makes me sad. And I, I'd like to think that we've changed. I'd like to think that more so these days we're like, yeah, let's uplift each other. Let's support each other. Community over competition, right? But it doesn't always feel that way. And, you know, I went in this deep dive of like all this music that came out in this time period. Britney Spears, Baby One More Time, is iconic. We can't deny that. From the time that she was 17 years old, she was just like boosted into the spotlight. And it was a roller coaster ever since, right? She hasn't been able to get off. And in digging in and realizing who I was in that time frame, I also started thinking about her a little bit, you know, because she was kind of along with me the whole ride, right? I realized in 2003, that was a major year for me because I started developing more of a music taste and music became so important to me. And I realized that that was around the time where I was like Andy and Britney Spears was Woody. And I'm like, I don't want to play with you anymore. And I dropped her because I started moving into more of a garage band revival, like indie rock kind of music taste. I was 13. I was like hanging out with more people who were into different types of music, whether it was like indie or alternative or emo. That was sort of the people that I was like hanging out with and the sort of music that they listened to. But if you were to ask me what your music is the best, I would say 2003. Okay, because you had The Strokes released their second album, Room is on Fire. You had Fever to Tell by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. You had Keep on Your Mean Side by The Kills. Steve Aoki had gotten a single from block party that he then did his DJ thing with and put out into the world. And in 2005, we were blessed with Silent Alarm. Just so many different bands were making music. It was like 2003 was like the domino that like kicked something off. And everybody since then, you know, you have Hot Fuss in 2004, this renaissance of music. I mean, I know that we don't really support Kanye West anymore, but even his first album came out in 2004, you know, so the time was changing. It's so funny how in hindsight, we see things that we don't see at the time because radio started getting to a point where it was just all playing the same bullshit, right? Why? There's a little law that you should look into called the Telecommunications Act of 96. That'll explain to you why radio is the way that it is. But long story short, it allowed for a lot of things. But the thing that's the most important here is that it took the limits away of how many radio stations a radio business, company, whatever could own. And so you had major conglomerates that then owned most of the radio stations. So everything sounded the same. And it's so sad because my dad was in a band called Grupo Sacrificio. And I'm going to post one of the songs in the show notes so you can check out. I'm like, this is my dad's band. Like women loved y'all. This is what y'all sound was. But good for him. He's always been someone who's been into like singing and dancing. And I feel like because of that, it's been something that's been in our household that just has, I don't know, created a lot of love and joy. And because music is beauty and it's art and it's feeling, it's all of those things. It's 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 just one of the most amazing and like profound things. Sound sorcery, that's what it is. I fell off with Britney Spears in 2003 when she released her In The Zone album. But then I realized, right, because radio and music has always been like a major part of my life. I fell back in love with her because as I've been like thinking about where I was in different time periods in my life, I graduated high school in 2009 and started in college and started like figuring out what I wanted and broadcasting was it. And in 2011, I got my first radio job. And 
Britney Jean Spears had released her Femme Fatale album that year. So I was like spinning some of those songs. She was just around. And my friend Nina Blanco and today's guest was also spinning her music. She was in Carbondale across the river. We were both doing the same thing. In that time period where we respectively worked at pop stations, she released her Femme Fatale album. She released her Britney Jean album. And she also had a bunch of music that she did with Will I Am as like singles or on like best hits albums and stuff like that. It was a really fun time in music and a lot of it was because of her. And so when Nina asked me to be on her podcast to dive deep into the Britney Spears memoir, The Woman and Me, I just jumped at the chance, dude, because I was really excited when this memoir came out because it also was going to get me in the mindset of where I was from all of these crucial years that were so influential on her. So I'm going to link the episode in the show notes if you want to check it out. It's a really good episode. Now let's talk about my friend Nina Blanco. Nina Blanco and I met when we both worked at 1057 The Point here in St. Louis. And respectively, we both share the honor, I believe, of being the first Latinas on The Point. Kane was on before us and he's Latino. And then Anthony was on after us. By my a calculation. There have been four Latinos that have been on the airwaves since then, right? She is a radio personality in the Denver, Colorado area. She is the creator, host, breakfast, burrito, Friday maker of the Nina Blanco podcast. And she just does really cool things. She lives there with her husband and her two dogs, and she's living the dream. This episode was recorded, I believe, last year, and I went to stay with her, and it was a really powerful visit, and we kind of like reminisce a little bit about that. In addition to that, we talk about her first time at a botanica, and, or at least her first conscious time, because she had been before. And then we also discuss Alicia Cárdenas, who you may or may not remember was an artist, tattoo artist, muralist, Chicana pillar in the community who was taken entirely too soon. And she had had an art piece featured in the Smoke and Mirrors exhibit at El Museo de las Américas, and we discussed that. I am joined by the marvelous, the talented Nina Blanco. Thank you for being on again. Thank you. Always a fun time getting to talk the spookiness with you. The last time we spoke was when I think I was in Denver, like following the trip to Denver. Yeah. Which was a really fun time. There's something about Denver that's just magical, truly. You think so? I do. I love it out here. Well, okay, like we we made it out there, right? Like for that trip that we went to see you. And not only did we make it alive, which I think was magical in itself. Right, exactly. That was like a miracle in itself. My goodness. We've been friends for a really long time. And, uh, you know, I'm just glad that we're keeping the magic flowing through us. Me too. That's what that trip really was, dude. It was magical because it's like all of these weird circumstancy things just happen. Like one thing that comes to mind is there's a particular tequila tequila fortalissa winter blend which was like impossible to find that's right and it's like what are the odds this one bar that we went to only had yeah that reposado and we were like okay let's make it a double yeah you guys it's funny because you guys 
you ask the bartender like, oh, okay, what kind of tequilas do you have? I don't even think you guys asked for that one specifically. And I think she just like brought it up like, oh, we have this, this and this. And then this special one, winter blend, blah, blah, blah. And you guys, there was a sparkle in your eye and you looked at each other like, let's do it. This is the one. We'd been trying to find a bottle of that one for months. So it's just, it's really hard to track down. That was like one of the things. Another one was there was an art exhibit that we both wanted to go to Mm -hmm. that was doing their first Friday. So we got to get in for free. Yeah, it happened to be first Friday, which is like they do it first Friday of the month. And it is year round. I had never been always wanted to go. And then, yeah, this museum that we wanted to go to happened to be a part of it. And we got in for free. And they were doing a Chicano art exhibit called Smoke and Mirrors. That was the first time I've ever cried because of an art piece. Yeah, it was definitely an emotional. Uh, it was just emotional being there and just knowing the story behind everything. And, and yeah, it, it moves you. But it was like a few months after Alicia had been murdered. Yeah. And just seeing her piece, La Llorona, it just really fucked me up. You know, I don't know. I think since Selena, there hasn't really been someone Mexican who is of that magnitude. I think that there are community leaders and there's a lot of beautiful people doing amazing things and mm-hmm. it's really sad to get their light snuffed out by just someone that's so full of anger and hate right it's a reality exactly. it happens exactly and to kind of like add on to what you are saying and how you like brought up selena even it's like for me like i love selena so much because you learn her story and you relate to her and just like being mexican and growing up with different traditions or just different things in your home you're like that's me. I relate to that. And so it kind of like for me, when I looked at Alicia's artwork, and it was a painting to just describe the story of La Llorona, which we all know, we've all heard that story a million, million times. But just like that was her choice of artwork this time around and seeing it and then just watching that and relating to it. Like, I know this story. I know where she's coming from with this. And, you know, they made that movie, which was terrible, by the way, a couple of years ago. I saw myself in that photo almost because it's like, oh, wow, this is a great idea in this piece of artwork. And she did it because she relates to that because that is her. That's part of her story. And then for like me and you, it's like, I do relate to this because I know that story very, very well. And I love this piece of artwork because it represents something that I've never maybe never seen in a piece of art before. And then knowing the story the background behind her and they did make it into a memorial with flowers and they had little faux candles and stuff like that. And it's like, it kind of brings you back and you're like, oh man, this tragedy happened. And yet I am relating to her art. And then this awful thing happened to her and it it gets you, it gets you. I just felt like everywhere I turned after we went to the museum, I just saw all these reminders of her just like reminding me she was a pillar in this town. Like she was someone who really did have a huge impact. Mm -hmm. I think we were on Broadway at one point and there was a a friend of hers has a shop or something you had said. Near where her shop was, which is where the shooting happened. But I think all the businesses on that street on South Broadway and this, you know, couple blocks in particular. They're all friends with one another because they are all community members. They all work together. And she just had a, another memorial in, in their shop window just to pay homage to her. It's still something to be afraid of. I particularly have like a 
a weird feeling about being in spaces that are so predominantly white sometimes. Is this a safe space? For sure. With my career and stuff, that's something that I've really encountered. And that's why podcasting for me has been so liberating because it's like I can say whatever I want without consequence or being made to feel like, oh, she stepped out of line. Podcasting is something that you're exploring and succeeding on in your journey. Do you mind going into what that process has been like for you? And Yeah, most definitely. Podcasting has been a lot of fun for me. I'm on month three of doing it, so I'm still a newbie. But I mean, having a background in radio, and I technically had another podcast with a coworker at my old job. And it's just this, like you said, new creative way to be able to express yourself and and say what you want. And you can swear on it. And on the radio, you can't say bad words and (laughs) makes it that much more fun to do. But being able to finally just do it on my own and create my own space, do whatever I want, say whatever I want. There's no time limit or, you know, any of that that I have to worry about. It's been just mostly a lot of fun. And I think that I hope anyway, that just me having fun and doing what I do and just trying to entertain and speaking into a microphone and the combination of that has turned people onto it and they do happen to like it. They find it entertaining or they find it relatable, which that's all I've ever wanted out of my career is to be relatable, to be able to be myself and be every other person because we're not all that different, most of us, and to entertain and to just like do my thing. And it has been a lot of fun. But yeah, it's been a good time. I've gotten a decent amount of listeners on it. You know, eventually one of these days we'll figure out how to monetize it, which that's the goal, right? (laughs) I guess in terms of the future, I want to definitely keep doing it. Although I'm not going to lie, doing two episodes per week is kicking my ass. But (laughs) um, it is a lot of fun. It's something I do want to keep doing and something that I think I'm going to be kind of protective over because, you know, with trying to collaborate with other entities on my podcast and selling it or, you know, things like that. Or if I do get another job on air in the radio, like, no, you can't have it. And no, you can't not tell me I'm not going to do it because I'm going to continue to do it. It doesn't need to be a part of your radio station. This is my thing. And I'm over here doing my thing. And you're not going to tell me that I can't do it. But I don't really know what it looks like. That's the cool thing about podcasting is that it does evolve. What it starts off as doesn't necessarily mean that's what it's going to continue as. But also, you got to stop swearing. You're really killing Norma. Dude, I can't. I really tried that one episode. (laughs) My mother, my mom, Norma, yelled at me for swearing so much on my podcast. So I tried. I really did try and I timed it. I missed one swear after like watching it back. And it was like two minutes in. And then when I noticed I swore, it was like six minutes in. Like I failed. I can't do it. (laughs) You tried. I did. I gave it a good (laughs) shot. (laughs) Speaking of your podcast, though, it's really good. I suggest that if you haven't checked out her show, you should do that. But one thing I want to go on the record and call you out on when we were talking about like going to the Botanica and stuff, you said that I said the one near your house was scary. And I'm like, you did. I believe I said intense. Did you? It's not scary in the fact that like, it's like, ooh, this is terrifying. But it's more like, whoa, there are people here who practice like shit. I don't even like know. Some crazy shit. <laughs> 
for and I've been to quite a few botanicas now. I've I went to one in Texas. I've been to one in Miami. I've, in Denver, there's surprisingly a few. Yeah, I really like that one near your place because it has cat nails in it. I don't use cat nails in my practice. What? Because I like cats and that makes me kind of sad. Yeah. But I would just remember like when I went for the first time, which we didn't end up seeing each other, I texted the photo of the bowl and I was like, oh my God, look at this. You did. You did. Yeah. Well, what did you think? Because that was your first like Botanica. So what, what was baby's first Botanica trip like? I feel like maybe I have been to one before in my childhood, like in Mexico and just probably didn't realize it. <laughs> Well, when I first walked in there, so I walked in there with the mindset of, oh, this is going to be scary. So as soon as we opened the door, there's this giant statue of like death right there. And I'm not going to lie, Bex, it scared me. (laughs) (laughs) It was like walking into like a Halloween store and there's like a big scary like clown statue or something. Like you weren't expecting it. And it was just like, ugh. Like, it just like a quick little scare. Like, I'm not going to lie. It did kind of scare me a little bit. <laughs> there was, of course, a ton of different statues there. But that statue in particular happened to be right by the door and gigantic, like life size. So I was like, whoa. Yeah. But then, you know, obviously you take a step inside the actual store and you look around and I'm like, oh, this is like a normal store. Okay. That obviously went away, but it was just like a quick second that that had happened. But I walked into there and, you know, looking around and you went to go talk to uh, the owner of the store looking for whatever you needed. And I just wanted to take my time and look at everything. And okay, you said that there's like, I just wanted to like take my time and like look at every little thing that they had, every little herb, every little spice, every little stone, every little thing and just be curious as to like, well, what do you do with this? Like, I don't know anything about this stuff at all. Every time I go into one of those, I don't necessarily know what to do with all the things. I don't know, sometimes it just clicks. It's like, oh, I could do this or I could do that. Something I've been kind of interested in as of late are um, crystal grids. People who use crystals for various things will create like a grid on themselves. It's supposed to help alleviate various energies and just help with whatever they're needing assistance in alleviating okay yeah there's something kind of more comforting to me about going into a botanica than just going into a witch shop because ritual craft which is in denver does a really good job of paying people whose traditions it is and trying to keep it as ethical as possible because that is something that lacks sometimes in the witch and or occult community but yeah i really just enjoy that botanica because i feel like whenever i go in it's like the real fucking deal they all speak spanish yeah they like if you ask them they're gonna suggest like a million things and i i don't know i just really enjoy it very close to my place like boom right there so I'm glad you found it and like you said I'm totally down to like you know support local this is obviously a small business and yeah you gotta love it yeah have you been back since we went I have not I just don't know what I would ever need there (laughs) (laughs) listen there's that agua fresca place like right around the corner yeah I told the boy and I'm like we gotta stop there and we gotta I didn't even know that that was there and had no idea it was like technically a chain i'm like that's kind of cool and it's right there if you're an elote person they all have that too okay at that shop yeah oh okay la michoacana if you're not familiar it's delicious but 
Yeah, they do like nachos and they do like elotes and always frescas and paletas. Right, exactly. Which is something that I love in Denver. There hasn't been a city I've ever lived in that like really has it except for like that I've seen in Chicago and only in certain neighborhoods. But like Denver has its fair share of like paleta men who are just walking around with their carts and doing their thing and selling paletas and even like snacks and elotes and stuff too. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Like I've never lived somewhere that actually has people still just hustling on the streets like that. Because elotes and paletas and stuff do hold a very nostalgic place in my heart from going to Mexico as a kid, you know. Totally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If there's a frozen banana vendor, then I'm oh there my too. Gosh. Oh, I forgot about frozen bananas. I do love frozen bananas. So good. Is there a frozen banana vendor in Denver? Have you seen one? I have not. I have not seen one, but I'll have to be on the lookout. Yeah. If you find one, I need you to like take a photo and let me know ASAP. <laughs> you know, thank you so much for being on. Where can everyone listen to your podcast? And you just started another one with a... Uh, a former co-host as well. So please tell us where we can find both of those. Okay. Uh, well, my podcast that I'm mainly doing solo is the Nina Blanco podcast. You can find it on Spotify. It's also on YouTube. And I like record my episodes so you can just see me making all the hand gestures and stupid faces that to your heart's desire. But I am there. You can also follow me on my social medias, you know, everywhere, but mostly on Instagram at the Nina Blanco. And the other podcast that I do with my buddy, his name is Dubs. It's called Yitty, Y-I-T-T-Y. And you can find it on Spotify and YouTube. Y-I-T-T-Y, Yitty. That one we do once a week and it's super fun. And we just yell at people the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yay. I'll include the links for those in the show notes. And thanks again for being here. Thank you so much, Bex. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. If you enjoyed it, all the places to support Nina Blanco are in the show notes. Additionally, check out the episode that we did together about Miss Brittany Jean Spears. The Woman in Me is a very powerful book, and I want you to think about something. If you are not familiar with how the hashtag Free Britney movement started, two of her superfans, Tess Barker and Babs Gray, they started kikiing about her Instagram and how quirky it is. And they got a tip from someone who was a paralegal and part of the team that was handling Britney's conspiratorship. They created a podcast episode they put out into the world in the middle of the night. And that's how all of these people became aware that something was wrong with Britney, that something was limiting her, that she was being basically confined to this life situation that she didn't have a whole lot of control or power or say in. And the people closest to her were like lying to her to benefit from her being in this. And it's wild to think about, right? How we have a lot more power than we think we do. You know, if you posting on social media and raising your voice or sharing content or making people aware of injustice in the world wasn't valuable, they wouldn't shadow ban you. They wouldn't take down your content. They wouldn't try and silence you. So please remember that we have more power than we think we do. And the only way that we're going to be able to make more of a difference is by really honing that and figuring out ways that we can build community and help each other and make the world a little bit better than it was when we found it. So thank you again for listening to this episode. Please support me. Please support Nina. Have a good rest of your day. Bye. 